Well, good morning. You can have a seat. And uh, hey, my name is Brad, as uh, Ryan said a few minutes ago, and uh, he said I was going to do a great job, and I was hoping just to come up here and read all of Deuteronomy to you this morning and just call it a morning. But uh, maybe I should do some sort of message and said, is it hot, uh, Russ, or is it just me? I'm just feeling a hum somewhere in the, not hot in the room, hot in the mic. Sorry. Sorry. Technical talk there. Hey, uh, well, it's always fun to be back. I was here uh, in August. Uh, I thought, man, I'd get out of the valley and, and go uh, enjoy the Santa Cruz area. When I was here in August, it was the 28th. It was foggy and overcast, and you guys were having a barbecue with water slide for the kids, and I just chuckled because it was darn near raining, and the kids were in the water slide in the whole nine yards, And uh, but a good time to be back and uh, be with you guys this morning and take a look just at this idea of the yesterdays of my life, and we'll jump into that here in a moment, um, but uh, I just wanted to ask you, my friend and I yesterday, actually I'm up at Mount Hermon this weekend, and my friend and I yesterday were talking about the Old Testament. And how often we read the Old Testament compared to the New Testament in our lives. And if I'm honest with you, it's not a lot that I read the Old Testament. I'm convicted, though, because when I get to heaven, I might have to meet some of these gentlemen that wrote some of the books. And what are you going to do when you meet Obadiah? And he says, did you read what I wrote? And if there's a quiz, a pop quiz on some of the Old Testament books, especially a spelling quiz, I'm out. Because when the Lord looks at me and says, spell Habakkuk, I'm done. I have no idea. If Obadiah even says, how do, I, how do you spell Obadiah? I ain't got a chance. I'm just praying to God that Joel asks me, how do I spell the book of Joel in the Old Testament? Even Deuteronomy, Leviticus, some of those other names of the Bible in the Old Testament we look at and we're intimidated by. And I'm still that way, and I have two Bible degrees. I sometimes get into the Old Testament, and I think, oh, it's just sometimes it's so hard to grab some of the concepts and some of the ideas that are there in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is a fascinating read because it's the story of God's faithfulness with the nation of Israel from creation to the cross. And so, so many things we can grab from the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to talk about some of those ideas in the Old Testament. As I look back at the yesterdays of my life, I a couple years ago, I started reading the small minor prophets of the Old Testament. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Hosea, some of those, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, some of those books that are the clean pages of my Bible. And I remember Howard Hendricks, the old scholar, saying, you ought to read the clean pages of your Bible more often. And so I started doing that, and some of the things that I've learned in the Old Testament, especially some of those minor prophets, have been small nuggets of wisdom for me in my life and the way in which I live. They've been convicting, and that's what I'm going to share a little bit this morning, is some of the conviction out of some of those minor prophets. As I think back to the yesterdays of my life, I think about some of the dumb decisions I made, and I look back and I think, what what was I thinking in some of those? Some of those are from the grades that I got in school. Uh, education, school is not my easiest thing. If uh, I, I don't read well. I don't comprehend that great. I, I just am not a great student. But if you were to ask me to take some nails and a hammer, I could build you a house. I'm just hands-on and mechanical. School is always hard for me. If you give me math, I can do math in my head, but I can't write real well. I don't read very well. I'm better than I was. 
but I still, it's a struggle for me. I'd rather listen to a podcast than read because reading's not always come easy for me. So that cost me. And as I look back to yesterday's of my life, I just always felt defeated in school. And so I didn't read ahead. I didn't read what I was supposed to, which ultimately cost me when I started going to college. I had to take remedial classes and pay for those instead of taking them in high school and just being done with it and doing my homework. And my mom used to always say, son, it's time to buckle down, you know, and do your homework. And I just wouldn't do my homework. So I paid for that. I paid for that financially quite a bit when I went to a private Christian college for my undergraduate. I look back to some of the decisions I made as a kid with money. I had a paper out. I was a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid. 150 bucks a month was good money back in the 80s. That sounds like a long time ago now. The 80s, right? When I was a paper boy in 1990, 89, 91, somewhere in there. I look back and think, I don't have anything to show than other than a clear plastic tub with like 5,000 baseball cards in it. That's where all that money went. That and the cheap cardboard-like gum that was in the, the, the baseball card packs. My 12-year-old called my wife yesterday because they were going out to uh, the bowling alley and the arcade yesterday. And he said, Mom, can I spend all my money here that we left them on the gift card for the bowling alley? Why his other two brothers had already blown through the $25 on their gift cards. He's the responsible one. That was not little Brad. Brad would have been just sliding the card in the next game and going and going and going. I think of some of the other yesterdays of my life and my own personal story. My dad left before I was even born. He decided to leave my mom and my two older brothers and took off. He was having an affair with another lady, and he just took off. And so I look back at the yesterdays of my life and all the way up into my mid-20s, early 20s, I could not stand my father. I didn't like him. I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want to take the phone calls when he called. I didn't read the letters or the birthday cards. I didn't want anything to do with him. And I look back at the yesterday of my life in that example, and I just scratch my head and think, what was I thinking? And maybe as you look back at the yesterdays of your life, there's some things where you too go, what was I thinking? Let me pray, and we'll jump into one of the minor prophets, and I, an example of what in the world were you thinking? Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your grace, your mercy, and all that you've given us. God, I know in life it's not easy, and there are a lot of what were you thinking moments. But God, you're gracious. You're merciful. And even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you're a good God. You're a good God in the hard moments, and you're a good God in the good moments. And so for that, we say thank you. May we learn from your word this morning. May we be convicted by your word this morning. Let it be nothing of me, a mere man, God, but may it be you. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, if you've got your Bible, open to the book of Jonah. Jonah, and then we're also going to look at a passage in Nahum really quick, a passage in Hosea, and then we're going to jump a little bit to the New Testament as well in Luke. Noah, Noah the story of Noah in chapter 1. Some of us have read this over the years. It'll be up on the screen, but I'll just read these words to you. The word of the Lord came to Noah, son of Ammonite. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness had come before me. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which is a local port, where he found a ship bound for the port of Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. This is not some code. This is not a bunch of uh, secret words that he had to figure out. This was just clear text. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah just didn't say, I don't think so, God. That's just not me, right? I'm not the right guy. I'm not your messenger. Kind of like Moses, like how could you use this mouth? What words would come out of this mouth? He just says, I'm going to go ahead and take off and go to another town, right? Not just a no, but pure disobedience, turn my back and run from what God said to do. Today, if you were to take a map of the United States, Nineveh was about 550 miles from Joppa, the port, which was near where Jonah lived. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Nineveh was 550 miles from there. That's like Eugene, Oregon to Santa Cruz. But instead, Jonah says no, not just no, but absolutely not, and goes the opposite way. He gets on a boat and heads for basically Tallahassee, Florida. From Santa Cruz. That's about 2,500 miles away. And that's how far Tarshish was from Joppa, 2,500 miles. And that's the furthest boat line there was during the day. So it's not like Jonah just said, I'm going to go to three towns over. I'm going to go to Watsonville. He went to the absolute furthest place you could go. Again, Tallahassee just represents a distance. But today it'd be like, I'm going to New Zealand, right? I'm going to Japan, Lord. Get on a plane and go. We're not sure how much money he spent on there. All those things. But we do know what happens a few minutes later in the passage. A few words later. I shouldn't say a few minutes. A few words later. Is that Jonah runs into this massive storm, right? He gets out on this boat. It's a couple days in, most likely. And the waves start to come up. They start to bash the boat. There's a terrible storm. And what does Jonah do? Does he come out and help? No, he goes and hides in the bottom of the boat. He goes and hides in the bottom of the boat. We're not sure how long the storm is, how long the process is of the the later passages and verses of chapter 1. But all through the rest of the verses of chapter 1, we read about this storm. And Jonah comes to the guys and says, hey, look, I'm the problem, right? At some point in the bottom of the boat, he comes to the realization of, I'm the problem. You need to deal with me. Which kind of leads us to the second passage in person and the second example of this, what was I thinking? It's in Luke 15, the prodigal son, and maybe some of you have heard the story of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to read verses 15, sorry, chapter 15, verses 11 through 13, which say this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them, him and the other son. And not long after that, the younger son got all he had together. And set off for a distant country. And while he was there, he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
We're not sure how far off he went. We're not sure how long it took to spend all this money. But we know he spent all the inheritance that he had. Everything that the father, his father, had given him was gone. What was wild living? Assuming it's similar to today. Prostitutes, drugs, booze. All the things that we can imagine this son does. Both of these examples of Jonah and the prodigal son are choosing to live for oneself, not following what God has asked or requested. But it's that self-seeking, that self-centeredness that we find Jonah and the prodigal son in the midst of. But the thing about these two stories is the blatant disobedience to God. The blatant disobedience that God said, hey, go do this. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to go the furthest possible way I can. God said all throughout the Old Testament, honor your father and your mother. Children, you're to take care of your father and mother. And this kid says, no, I'm not going to do that either. And this kid knew the, knew the, the Old Testament laws and those things and the example of this that Jesus is giving. This is very customary. It's not like this example this gentleman didn't know that you're going to take care of your father. But he just said, Father, I've had enough of you. The heck with you and give me what is mine. And so he turns his back on his father, his family, and goes and lives selfishly. And as I'm reading through these Old Testament books, these minor prophets, as I read Jonah, and as I then I start thinking of what is another example of someone that lived that? What is what was I thinking moment? I came to the prodigal son, and then it made me think of. Well, these two absolutely turn and live into a life of sin and choose not to follow God's best. Which brought me back to what does God think of sin? This is what one of the minor prophets say about sin. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. God will not leave the guilty unpunished. When I was in high school ministry for many years, uh, about a dozen to 13 years, I remember we would tell students about three or four different statements constantly over and over. And I would put Jill Baker, Jill Lippert on, 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 on a pop quiz right now, but I, I love her too much to do that, to ask her if she remembers something that I taught her in student ministry. Jill was in our youth group many years ago. But we used to always say a couple different statements. And one of those statements was, is decisions you make today will have a positive or negative effect on the rest of your life. We wanted young people to understand that. That every decision they make has a positive or negative effect on the rest of their life. And I look back at Jonah and I look at the prodigal son and think, yeah, if you only would have known what these decisions would do for you. And I look back at my own life, especially with my father and some of the regret that I have of the unforgiveness and the, and the disdain. For my father. And the way in which God sees sin, and as I held unforgiveness, and God calls us to forgive. As I sat and thought about some of these words in some of these Old Testament books, I thought number one that I learned was sin is costly. That sin is costly. Sin doesn't go unpunished. 
And so if God's not going to let it go unpunished, it's going to cost us something. It cost him, and it cost us. That's part of the reason we used to tell high school students the decisions you make today will have a positive or negative effect on the rest of your life. We also used to say that you choose your habits, and your habits choose your future. Because too many high school and junior high students did we get to know only to watch them become the reality of the habits they chose. I'll tell you this about sin. After years of student ministry, I learned that sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin is costly. Hosea, one of those minor prophet books, says this. Hear the, Lord, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you. You live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed flows and flows. Sounds a little bit like today when you watch the news. That's why I've chosen not to watch the news anymore. But that's what sin leads to. The Old Testament all throughout talks about some of those stories of Israel. Of, hey, God said go do this, but yet they chose to do something else. And Sometimes it was bloodshed that was had. Sometimes it was famine that was had. Sometimes there was... A lot of times there was consequence for the disobedience. But I look back at my own life, too, and I think of some of those moments that I chose sin and selfishness over the Word of God or over the command of God. And it's cost me. And I look at the yesterdays of my life. I tell you that because... I also realize that as I continue reading in the, in the story of Jonah and the prodigal son, that there's some changes that happen, and there's some pictures of God that we get to see. Now, this next statement that I'm going to make is not something my mother would be at all happy that I'm going to tell you, but point number two this morning is that there's some great buts in the Bible. My mom would not be happy of this point. I'm not even going to tell her I said it. But there's some great buts in the Bible. And the first one of those I want to remind us of as we think about how Jonah and the prodigal son, the nation of Israel, and even in our own lives, as we've chosen sin over righteousness and happiness sometimes over holiness, that those buts in the Bible have been there for us as well. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin but the, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And sometimes I read it as, but the, the grace of God or the faithfulness of God or the blood shed by God on the cross is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's some great butt passages in the Bible. My mother is so not going to be happy about this. As we, as we think of Jonah, there's even a but passage in the book of Jonah. If you go to Jonah chapter 2, verse 4. This is after Jonah 
is thrown overboard. Remember, they're in the sea. The storm's going like crazy. Jonah's at the bottom of the boat. He finally comes up top, and he says, hey, I'm the problem. If you get rid of me, the sea will subside. The waters will recede. The wind will go down, and I'm the problem. And they even argue with him. We don't want to throw you overboard. Let's throw the stuff overboard. But then Jonah convinces them to throw him overboard. God uh, provides a whale, and this is what part of that passage is from. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will yet I look I, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me bared me forever. This is what didn't make it to the screen, my fault. But you brought life up from the pit, oh my God. But you brought life up from the pit, is the last part of verse 6. But you brought life up from the pit. It's later in that verse where the Lord commands the fish to throw to vomit Jonah back up onto dry land. God provides in the midst of Jonah's sin... As he's thrown overboard, a whale. Jonah's perspective is, but you brought life up from the pit. Because of Jonah's choice to not only say no, but go the absolute opposite way, God still provided, even in the midst of Jonah's sin. I don't know if you realize it, but in the first chapter, three chapters of the Bible, there's a but passage in the Bible. Some of you are going to think, Man, the pastor next week is going to be so much better than the guy with the butt passages of the Bible. I get it. I told Ryan I was going to just go really boring and low and be a bomb, and then the two next week's going to be amazing. So <clears throat> I hope this works out for you guys. If I can just bomb. Oh, but anyways, hey, so we know what happens. Most of us in the beginning of the Bible, uh, Adam and Eve uh, ultimately, you know, choose the apple over God's holiness, and uh, they blame each other. And then they go run and hide from God in the, the Garden of Eden, right? Anybody know what the first thing is God does after that? Say it again. He calls for them. But how does he call? The, the fascinating thing, chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord called to man. And what did he say? Where are you? God knew. God knew where they but God, but the Lord, God, called to man. The first of God's creation goes awry. A lot of God's creation go awry until some of those but moments of God's story in our lives comes into play. It was true for Jonah. It was true for Adam and Eve. It is true for me. Luke 15, we return to the prodigal son and his kind of aha moment. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving. Remember, the prodigal son goes and spends everything he has, blows it on wild living, has no more money to even eat, to afford decent clothing. Have a cup of coffee. He's eating the same pods he feeds the pigs. And so there's a moment of lowness that he's sitting there. 
And he says, when I came to my senses. It's kind of like that moment where Jonah's in the belly of the whale or in the pit. And we have those moments where we come to our senses. Number three is this. The Father's mercy is great. And we see this not only in the Genesis chapter 3 when God goes after Adam and Eve, after they've sinned, turned their back and hidden from him. As Jonah turned his back, ran from God to the furthest possible place he could go. But yet then we see it again in the prodigal son, the mercy of God in this story told by Jesus in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. In those moments of running from God, we still see the mercy of God in those moments when we turn back to God. When we turn back to the Father, yes, this is a story, an analogy that Jesus gives, but the Father is merciful for his Son, and he returns home. He doesn't, the, the story doesn't talk about, he doesn't ask for where the money is, he doesn't ask where were you, he doesn't say what have you been doing. He commands his servants to go get the best robe, a ring, sandals, and then get a fattened calf because we're going to party because my son is home. Though he was lost, he is now home. I uh, was looking at the, the Rembrandt uh, picture of the prodigal son the other day as I was thinking about some of these things, especially in this story. And I was, I was fascinated at the, the detail that Rembrandt uses in that picture of even the sandal is torn apart in the leather and in the heel. The heel is missing on one of the sandals in Rembrandt's picture. The clothes are tattered. His hair is unkept. The garments are torn and dirty. Yet the son hugs, sorry, except for the father, hugs his son when he comes home. I've always found it fascinating that the father, the statement of the father is, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son. I wonder what it was like to run with all that garment on back in those days and in sandals. For one that was in an elevated place. Again, this is a story that Jesus is telling. But it just makes me think of the compassion. Because I compare it to Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sin, turn their back on God, go hide from God in the midst of sin. God still goes after them. I remind us of, of Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces finds mercy. These are pictures that we saw in the prodigal son and with Jonah. Temptation is all around us, though. That's another reality 
as I read the Old Testament and some of the minor prophets and the things that were before them, the things that were before the prodigal son. So I had to stop and think to myself, what is a great uh, uh, picture, uh, example of how to rebuke sin and temptation? And I was reminded that Jesus, when tempted in Luke chapter 4, says this. Luke chapter 4, verse 4. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 7, he's tempted in this. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. That's what Satan says to the Lord. This will all be yours if you just worship me. And here's Jesus' answer. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the last temptation is this. Satan says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Uh, talking about jumping off the, the edge of the hill. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus says this. It is said, do not put your Lord God to the test. You know what's fascinating about these three passages? And I just took snippets of the whole part of chapter, chapter 4 is this. Will you go to the next slide for me? Each one of them quotes Scripture. Jesus quoted Scripture. For it is written in verses 4 and 8. And then in verse 12 he says, For it is said. And the reason why it was said is because something that Jesus read. It is said. It is written. It's pure quotes of the Old Testament. So when you find temptation coming your way, don't forget the Luke 4 example. The quoting scripture is the way out. I told you that uh, for most of my life, I really <clears throat> did not like my father. And that was true. My dad uh, was having an affair on my mom. And then my brothers were five and three at the time when he left before I was even born. And my half-sister was two months younger than me. And so um, my dad decided to leave about five months before I was born. So people ask me from time to time, well, how did you, you know, how did you survive in a divorce home? And I was like, well, I didn't know any different. I was just always a single, I always had a single mom. You know, my brothers, though, had a lot more trauma and heartache with all that stuff. Like my oldest brother carried boxes out with my dad. And it still got a grip on him, unfortunately. And so I was in my mid-20s when I was working with the dean of the university I was at. I was at Simpson University up in Reading, uh, studying to be a youth pastor. And I remember talking to a gentleman named Mike Gower, and Mike had just confronted me one day on my sarcasm, my humor, and my quick wit. And I, I was like, oh, I'm just gifted, man. I should have been a comedian. He's like, no, it's a sign of unforgiveness. And I was like, no, Mike, you know, whatever, duh, you know. And I went home, and I thought about it. I went home for the summer. That was like one of the last days of school. And I moved back home for three months, and I thought about it all summer. August rolls around of my junior year, and I went back up to campus. I remember driving my truck back up there, parking my truck with everything in it, and walking to find Mike. Because I was like, this stupid old dude is right. And so I found Mike. It was the first thing I did. And I said, Mike, I haven't stopped thinking about that. And so for the next two years, it was a struggle. 
but I forgave my father. I let go of all the, the anger and the hate over a process. It was not like the first meeting Mike and I had. I was like, whoo, I feel better. Love my dad. Want to go out now? Call him. Go play golf. No. It was a process. It's even a process at 45 years old. Because six years ago, when I was 39, we had our third son. I didn't realize that was going to be so emotional for me. Because I looked at my third son in the hospital and thought, my dad wasn't here for this. I was that kid. And I wanted to be him. And I had to go back to the yesterdays of my life. And I had to go back to the forgiveness that God gave me and the restoration that was happening with my father over this last 25 years of my life now. I've forgiven him. I've never wanted to have another kid hurt. For me to hate my dad but to birth with my third son. And it was a few months' struggle of choosing to forgive again. It doesn't go away, but it's different 20 plus years now. I look at Jonah, I look at the prodigal son, and I look at God in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And I see myself in different ways, with different decisions in my own life, but I always see God show back up. I see those but moments in the Bible in my own. This morning, I want to leave you with three possible things you might be, because I want to give us a few minutes to pray, because here's what happens, Christian, I'll be honest with you. I go to hear a sermon, and they're like, as you go home, think about this, and take some time to pray for it. And I don't. So I thought this morning, I'm going to give you a few minutes to just pray in one of these categories. And Josh is going to come up, but here's the three things that I've kind of identified in my own life. You might be sitting here and you might need to bring something to the Father. Like there might be something you're like, God, I know you're asking me to kind of deal with this. Secondly, there might be some thanks that the Father deserves because of something he's done in your life. <clears throat> or thirdly, you might need to pray for someone who needs to know the grace of the Father, who needs that prodigal son moment, prodigal daughter moment. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to pray, and Josh is just going to play the guitar lightly underneath a little bit. And then in a couple minutes, I'll close this in prayer, and we'll have a worship song and then call it a day. But just take a couple moments and kind of find which one is God tugging at you with. It might be one of the yesterdays of your life or an unforgiveness moment that you have might be some grace and some gratefulness, or it might be someone else that you know needs the Father. Take a few minutes.